But I think the beauty of this show is that it's a platform for people to tell their story, however it is, in whatever form. To me, that's what this show, you know, it's selfish plug here, but that's what this show does. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 68 of the Mad Happy Podcast. This is Phineas. This week, we are airing a conversation that I had with Mason. He is in town currently working on the Mad Happy pop-up that's coming soon. We sat down and had a conversation about adolescent mental health. Mason had just listened to an episode of The Daily, the New York Times podcast, where they do a deep dive into the adolescent mental health crisis. And he had encouraged me to listen to the episode, so I did, and I had my reactions to it as well. And so for this episode, we sort of drop into the beginning of a conversation that he and I have in reaction to that topic. We go deep into adolescence, culture, mental health, and the many ways that mental health is ever-present in our lives and in the lives of our adolescents. And so without further ado, the Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Enjoy the show with Mason and myself. What was crazy about that episode of The Daily was that it was just like, basically acknowledging for the first time ever that this is affecting this many people at this yeah, like when he said it had surpassed like yeah. physical ailments yeah and like people are going to react differently to that news right you'll get most people will be like damn that's wild this is upon us everybody knows somebody that's affected like this like if you have kids if you have access to young people that are affected like but there's going to be a population that just says like there's just more people soft people like, well, how do you push back against that is an interesting thing of like, because you see it online a lot of this like Andrew Tate kind of like just grit your teeth, be a man and push through it. Yeah. And this sort of like very heteronormative, dominant, aggressive culture. And like, it's almost it's almost like more people like like saying they have trauma is just more people. It's almost like the, the anti-trans movement, for example, people saying, oh, well, why are all these people like suddenly trans? Well, it's because we presented this new idea and now kids are just deciding something, right? But how we have to, I think it's so important that we draw a distinction between that and mental health and like mental health and depression and anxiety and all these things have always been present, but we're, we're A, diagnosing them correctly for the first time maybe. Mm -hmm. And then B, um, kids are probably more stressed out for a myriad of reasons as well. And I think that's an important distinction to make on top of just like, it's more than physical ailments because then you're going to get people, a lot of people that are just going to be like, yeah, it's because we're raising a bunch of dandies, a yeah. bunch of, you know, a bunch of whiny, soft right. liberals. Right. right. Participation trophies and, and all that, and that all whole that. wave. Yeah. Maybe I don't know how strong that wave is, but yeah, I um, mean, it's pretty strong. It's pretty you can loud. Say that it, it's at least like 50 percent of this country. Yeah. It's like being generous, probably. And that would be such a travesty for this kind of news. Yeah. And this kind of discovery, this kind of research. Yeah. To fall on that type, those, that type of deaf ears. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just uh, like we always say with mental health, a lot of people don't care about it until it affects them. And I think it was like super similar to COVID where like people didn't care about it or would joke about it until they knew someone who passed away or until they had a friend who their grandmother passed away or something. And then it was like, no, this is serious. But until then, I think people and like Americans sadly are kind of just like, inherently selfish and we're taught to kind of look out for our own and and 
care about your blood and like that's it and like really keep your family safe and whatnot and like that often due to capitalism like like lauren was saying honestly like means kind of putting other people down or like stepping on the backs of other people to like help get you to a safer place um in terms of people not being open to the conversation i think you know show me one older like male or female who's in their 60s 70s 80s who who has it all together and has never like acknowledged their mental health you know i think that's why we look at like addiction obesity um ptsd like all of these things that are affecting so many people who choose like not to acknowledge that and like sure like i'm sure right now andrew tate is able to you know not have to acknowledge what he's going through or like i'm not going to psychoanalyze him or like what's no, happened no. in his life but like everyone has trauma yeah and trauma affects us all and and it affects us all in different ways obviously you can have two children that experience the same thing one of them it could change the course of their life the other it could only have a minor effect so like that's still something to figure out that's not just like as clear as black and white but i think for someone to like just not acknowledge it that like yeah consciously is just like being a bit naive and and again just shows how deeply stigmatized it is that like yeah. it has such a connotation with like you're weak or like you are a wussy to say if like you're sad or like you're having somewhat of a bad day. Yeah, there was one perspective in that daily episode that I thought was really fascinating too. I think they were interviewing C. Or, yeah, after exactly. They're interviewing yeah. C and then the, the sort of conversation after that interview was like the positive outlook on this is that with this information we can have young people deal to your point address and deal with their trauma or their challenges or their hard times at a younger age rather than delaying it until later on, which is stunting so much personal development. Mm -hmm. And I think that is I love that. a silver lining here that's like the data is pretty dark. It's it's can be it's pretty jarring to hear there's a sheer scale of this challenge, which probably everybody knew, but to hear it you know, read to you is like kind of jarring, but the fact that people will be have forced to or be able to opt in to choosing to address these things at a younger age, just think about how much healthier we could be as a population yeah. if, if and when we're able to help build an infrastructure in this country that addresses these issues earlier on. Yeah, I think that was such a great note that that they ended it on. Obviously yeah. great to end it on like an uptick of, of optimism. And yeah. I think it reminded me of, what I've been hearing a lot, honestly, most of my life and in, in my late teens and early 20s was from older people who I would be in these rooms with um, or family members or, or at treatment who would be in their 50s or 40s and would tell me, like, you're so lucky that you're doing this work now. And I didn't really understand, like, what they meant by it until, like, honestly, in the last year or so. And, like, that episode the other day really hammered it home for me of, like, it catches up to everyone. Yeah. eventually at some point in your yeah. life right there's a reason why there's this whole like midlife crisis thing and and at, like at some point oh, when you're older everyone goes through this thing where they just like buy a bunch of shit or like freak out or like not know what to do and like that's like trauma and like your mental health kind of catching up with you and being like enough is enough and i think for me what's been so great about it is like one like the stakes are lower right so like the younger you are uh the more opportunity you have to fuck up make mistakes start over um kind of figure it out right you know i don't have kids i'm not married i don't have a mortgage all of these things that like when you have those you're a lot more anchored in and like when when the bomb could potentially go off it's like a it's a bigger mess that it leaves behind in its wake and i think too like 
to be able to be prepared for that as I've moved into adulthood and like understand some of these things that like can help translate in business and relationship and friendships and family, like really being able to communicate and, and identify feelings and ask for help when I need it. And like all these sorts of things I think has been so valuable. And, and I think that they hit it right on the head that like if kids are really able to experience that and go through it when when it's happening anyways right like it's not like let's make these kids go through something bad like let's expose my kid to the chicken pox so he can get over it like we're not like exposing kids to things that they're not already exposed to we're just being realistic about what's going on and like the, the things that we can teach and the tools that we can put in place at that age will like pay dividends when they grow up and become parents and then oh you have that knowledge when you become a parent you can bestow that onto your child already and create a safer more empathetic, like more secure environment just so that you're aware of it and even raising them a little bit with some of those things in mind. And then like the trickle down effect that that can have through generations and generations is like that's how we slowly start to like turn this massive ship back a little bit. Um, and it can only start with education and, and it can only start with professionals being able to be equipped to identify and, and work with these kids. Yeah, it is sort of stark to me the thought that an entire generation, you know, our parents' generation, and to some degree our generation, has not acknowledged this part of life, of life <laughs> and of health, right? Not to say that they're worse off or better or were better off. Just it will be, it is fascinating thought experiment, and we will see it, you know, as we as we age. But if we are able to embrace and acknowledge mental health as a generation, it will be fascinating to watch how that impacts on a macro level the generations to come. And if the federal government embraces it and if companies like Mad Happy continue to, you know, if relevant companies that's, that resonate with young people continue to embrace it on the level that you all do, that Mad Happy does, um, it's going to change, right? And if the Kevin Loves of the world if you know all, all the people that have been on the show mm -hmm. continue to talk about it openly, you know, Logic doing his song about, you know, like it's already seeping into culture and that's how you know it's here to stay. Totally. And so because it's baked into culture, it's almost like culture embraced it before academia. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like the mental health movement has already started yeah. with culture, which is, I think, what Matt Happy is yeah. most directly represented. I mean, everything of. everything starts yeah. kind of in the streets in that it way. It starts with culture. Yeah. And now it's fascinating to see uh, the academic community catch up. And also, then it will be even more interesting to see how the sort of legacy, older generation people just institutionally will embrace it. In the future. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for so many issues like academia and government just moves so slow. Yeah, and there's so many politics and so much money involved and these universities have different endowments and different people running the show with different political views sure. and like things like that, that for them, it's like, yeah, like come back to us in like 10 years once we have some data and like we can really understand and, yeah. and what it looks like. And I get it. But unfortunately, that means like a lot of kids having to suffer and, and a lot of kids having to die for them to take it seriously. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it's tragic that it's taken them this long to really acknowledge it. And only certain universities and, and places are really starting to. But I think at this point, um, the data is so clear um, and it's, it's become so big that it's really impossible to ignore. And it is one of those things, too, that I think 
touches everybody. It's like, you know, everybody knows somebody that struggles. Mm -hmm. And and if not you, then it's somebody close to you. And I think yeah. once it's accepted more gen more widely accepted and understood that this is a diag these are diagnosable challenges, yeah. People will start to embrace it and just say, Hey, I my son or my cousin or my yeah best friend struggles with this, that, or the other thing. And I yeah. think that will that's when the it'll turn. What do you think it is that changed from our parents' generation and our generation and even the generation below us that that kind of opened the door? Because I have a theory, but I'm curious what you think. I mean, honestly, I think the internet, social media, it's a pretty generic answer, but I do think it's true. The internet and social media, uh, young people being able to express themselves on the internet without a gatekeeper uh, YouTube shows of young, you know, trans kids creating a show where they do whatever, you know, uh, young gay kids, you know, kids who struggle and watching those, that content develop such a huge following. I mean, mm -hmm. we had, we had Fuo, Fuocious. Mm -hmm. Victor. Victor. <laughs> it was a great episode. Yeah. Um, a young trans person who is an artist and had this unbelievable moment in culture where uh, his art exploded, yeah. you know? And, and to me, it's like when some, when things capture culture at that level, I think it's the capitalist society can't not embrace it. <laughs> she can't companies yeah. can't not embrace pride month because it costs them money. Yeah. And so capitalism, in my opinion, um, and even like, even generational capitalism doesn't have an opinion. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a machine. Capitalism is a tool. Um, and so I think culture bends capitalism or bends society. Uh, and then over time, capitalism, when it bends, bends the the larger populace that is not as in impacted by culture. Yeah, it's a long roundabout way of saying I think the internet and people's stories being able to get out there and then them developing huge followings and then capitalism following in its wake. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I was like the two words that came to my mind were like communication and yeah. like accessibility. Totally. Like I'm thinking like my grandparents grew up like how could they communicate? They could write a letter or they could maybe go find a house phone, right? Talk then it's to like, somebody at in town. Yeah. Talk to someone in town. Yeah. Then like in your town or like read the newspaper. Yep. Then you have our parents who was like for their whole childhood, it was basically just like landline phones yep. and pay phones. Yep. So just like the, the types of communication that you could even have or the yeah. parts of your life that you can show or like minds can't even be opened up the yeah. way that they are now to really express themselves or get creative. So like it was pretty much impossible to get that information through at that time with the communication styles and the accessibility. And people didn't really know what was happening, I'm sure, because it was going underreported. You would hear stories, but there was no way to prove them, right? There was no videos of anything, right? So, like, people probably didn't want to believe it. They would sweep it under the rug, all these sorts of things. And then, you know, for me, it's like I, when I grew up, I remember not having a phone. I remember dial-up internet. I remember, like, printing out directions, right? So even for me in the beginning of my life, there wasn't that, like, that accessibility in those communication styles. And I think now for Gen Z, part of the reason why they're really paving the way is is just the accessibility and the ways that they're able to communicate is so 
vast and endless and like creative with like so many ways to go and it can look however you want it to look that like that allows you to express yourself and really be whoever you are when when before there was such a small box and like every decade I think the box gets a little bigger and, and obviously now it's, it's as big as it's ever been. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, our parents' generation had the nightly news anchor and then after that, you know, they whatever, the six o'clock news and then Johnny Carson. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> or, or whomever. And then and then like the newspaper, you know, even to this day, I mean, my dad's favorite time is like Sunday morning, New York Times. He reads it cover to cover. Yeah. You know? And and like that's how he's forming his view no and doubt. opinion about like what's going on. Yeah. Now he takes on more media, of course. Yeah. More multimedia. But like so how that's he's taking the, the ritual. Temp. Yeah. That's the ritual. And something I wanted to ask you about is like, we touched on it briefly, but with the pushback, like one, one concern I have is the, how things get bucketed. So the mental health, I think and really hope that it is its own siloed set of facts, right? The, the short of it is I hope mental health and culture does not get bucketed into things like cancel culture, internet culture, you know, un, unchecked liberalism right. that the internet really hates, you know, mm -hmm. and we could talk, I could talk for days about like a left thing. Yeah. Like a leftist thing. And by the way, I could poke holes for days in that argument. Yeah. But in my opinion, like there is like people being vulnerable about personal stories on the internet does dip into a culture of progressive liberal media which there's a huge push back up against right now mm -hmm. we don't really see it i don't think on our show mm -hmm. and i don't think or uh, like where uh, you and i live also or where we live but we see it on the internet we see it with comedians we see it with um and and so i i, I that's something i like i'm wondering if you've seen at all certainly with the, with your work um do you see anybody that kind of rolls their eyes and says, oh, you know, this is just another soft way of looking at the world or, or that kind of thing? Does it get bucketed in? Because I really hope that we people don't just go back to being like roll their eyes at, oh, another ailment. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? That's yeah. a concern I have is like undermining this movement that could be incredibly impactful and profound. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think I, I don't see a ton of eye rolls, but what I do see and hear a lot of is, I don't get it or I don't really understand right. it. And right. I think that makes so much sense with something like mental health. You know, we're taught like seeing is believing and it's something you can't see, right? So I know I touched on it earlier of like until it happens to you, you can't really explain what anxiety feels like because it feels different for so many people or, or until it happens to you, you don't really know like that feeling depressed, you can physically feel sick. You can yeah, throw up. Yeah, I think about up. the Cody can, Co episode where yeah, he, he I mean, described getting, feeling anxiety for the first time and he was like, I thought I was going to die. Yeah, like you don't know yeah. if, if you're having a heart attack yeah. or if you're like, you can't breathe or like you're choking on nothing or like all these things. So I think to like understand your point, like my mind goes back into the past of like, what are big things that society has made a change on? And like the two big things that I think of are like smoking and breast cancer. And like, I feel like those both became huge movements that, that people rallied behind on both sides that kind of understood like, this is bad for us, like we shouldn't do this. And breast cancer is really common, let's support it and put some dollars behind it so we can like 
try to eradicate it or we can get it a lot more treatment. And, and I was a bit younger when both of those things happened, but I think now those feel so embedded into our culture of like, you know, there's a breast cancer awareness month in like the NFL, everyone's wearing pink, right? It's like, that's a huge thing that huge. wasn't always there, right? Huge. So that had to start, right? I, I remember growing up being on airplanes with ashtrays in the between seats, right? So obviously it hasn't been that long since it was also, yeah, we're all smoking all the time. So I think the reason why those have come around, in my opinion, is because they were looked at as just like not left, not right, just human. These are yeah. things that we all share in our bodies. All women and men have, have breasts. We're all susceptible to getting this kind of cancer. This is something that we should look out for each other. They're selling cigarettes on every corner in the country. We have kids. We need to educate people about what this does to our bodies because it's just a human thing. And I think mental health, you can make the same exact argument of, yep. of we all have brains. We all wake up in the morning and interact with people and, and get disappointed and get excited and get our feelings hurt and hurt other people's feelings. And, and that affects us every single day. It doesn't matter where you live or what you do. It's just a human thing. So I think we really need to like put it on the level of, of some of these other physical things emotional things, sexual things like we've talked about and, and just really look at it as a human thing. Um, and I think then we can slowly start to get it the momentum it needs to just be accepted universally. I agree. Yeah. It's that, it's that good work. It's the, it's the lifelong work. Yeah. Know, I think like education, storytelling, communication, relentless pursuit of honest stories and data. Yeah. <laughs> gets it, gets it there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious, like, uh, there's not really many conservative leaders who are who are super outspoken about mental health. Uh, but I think it's such a yeah. such an amazing opportunity for for that base to like, recognize it and realize it and, and it doesn't have to like, change any of your political views, right? Yeah. Or we're not asking you to like, change your whole opinion on this, yeah. but just so many things that are really rampant in those communities too that are totally. really really tough yeah, you look at obesity you look at drug use and addiction uh, you look at family traumas uh, you look at poverty and and all those things that they're doing for different families and kids especially is like really really traumatizing and yeah. like you know it, it it's not a surprise then when you have kids that kind of grow up and like don't really see beyond what their parents were or like what they like like achieved or they see the things that are going on in their community and and just fall right back into it. So I think there's a real opportunity there um, to really unite like just both sides of this country and, and this world, because I really do think um, obviously that it is, it is just like a, it's a human rights issue. Yeah, ex I agree. And, and the, the most powerful portal into this issue is the, is children, 100%. adolescents, which is why that episode was so compelling. It's like, yeah. when you talk about adolescence, like everybody agrees that we should protect kids. We disagree on how to protect kids. We disagree on what the issues are with kids, sure. But if we can acknowledge that there are issues, then we also can acknowledge that we should have a conversation about what those solutions should be. And that's a good place to start. And I think the data and the just anecdotal stories that are coming out now about adolescent mental health are going to be compelling enough, I hope, to continue to accelerate conversations on how we can help support young people and adolescents with mental health challenges. And I think that's the silver lining here to me. You know? Yeah, and I know we've, we've, we've referenced it a bunch. So just for everyone listening, we're talking about the New York Times daily episode uh, that came out on August 30th, uh, which was just kind of a 
a status update on on adolescent mental health. The guy that they interviewed had been doing a study for I think over ten years, uh, yeah. which was pretty incredible, and and just dropped some really jarring facts. And I think to your point at at the top of this, um, it's not like it was anything we didn't know, but but for some reason I think it really hit me differently. Um, and I know that I've shared it with with a bunch of people. I shared it with the whole internal team at Mad Happy. Um, I know I sent it to you to listen to and and really encourage. Uh, anyone, uh, whether you listen to the daily or not, uh, just to check out that episode and and to send it to people you love or, or people who you know that are interested in in mental health. I think it was really great, important work, um, and it it really inspired us. Yeah, and then if you know people that maybe are looking for something that it can feel somewhat less academic and can feel more approachable and can be more stories, they should send this podcast. Because yeah, that too. to me, that's what this show, you know, it's selfish plug here, but that's what this show does is it, it normalizes just being open about the stuff happening totally. to you. Yeah. And everybody comes at it differently. We have experts on the show, of course. We have academics on the show, of course, too. But, but I think the beauty of this show is that it's a platform for people to tell their story, however it is, in whatever form. And, you know, we're upwards of 65 episodes now, and almost every single one is different. Yeah. You know, like, there's so many different ways. We've had people be like, yeah, I don't really struggle with it, but then go on to, like, detail ways that they actually are struggling with it. We've had people that, you know, say they've had massive panic attacks and they felt like they were going to die. We've had people talk about interpersonal relationships, parents, families, siblings. Like mental health is, I think, simultaneously, and this is something I've really learned from you and 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 from doing this show together, is it comes in many forms, but it's very broad and very specific all at the same time. Totally. Right. It's like very broad thing. Like- but each isolated thing is very specific. It's not like Mental health is just like I'm having a tough time. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. If you're experiencing anxiety, that is different than experiencing depression. Yeah. You know, like those are different things. And so that I think needs to continue to be reiterated that like we're not saying mental health is a catch-all for just like bad vibes mm-hmm. and like, you know, bummer mood. Yeah. You know, detail, you know, an eating disorder is different than anxiety. Mm-hmm. Again, not experts on any one thing, but providing a platform for people to talk about it and then analyze those things, I think is really powerful. Yeah, I think uh, when you said every episode has been so different, you're right, and they've all been so similar at the same time. Totally. And like, that's really the beauty of mental health and Mad Happy and, and everything that you're saying is like, we're all going through it on our own, comma, together. And totally. like, we all have so much, all our lives are so different on paper and like, you go underneath and they're really all the same. And we all have so much in common and, and we're all going through the same shit on the same planet every day together, right? Absolutely. We're just all doing it through our own set of eyes and, and in our own head. Uh, but I think that's really another thing that we're really trying to get across is, is like having people feel together because you know, so many people feel alone um, and we just want to bring people together and really share what we're feeling and and it's just so surprising how much we all are going through the same shit and are just too scared to talk to each other about it
you all so much for listening. As always, as you know, as we say every week, it means the world to us that you take time out of your day, out of your life. We know everyone's busy. We know everybody has their own stuff. But you take time to listen to this show, these stories, and share in the conversation about mental health. If you like the show and you want to support us, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in next week. We will be back with more of the Mad Happy Podcast. So see you soon. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.